Holy Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today was going to be the Samaritan woman, but the rites and rubrics of the feast override those of the, of the Lenten season. So we'll do some short meditations on, uh, on the cross. As we mentioned in the Synaxarium reading, we celebrate the Feast of the Cross twice a year, right? The original feast is this one that's in Lent. Um, and the church likes everything to get its proper dues, right, in terms of, of honor and, and dignity, right? And so because they know that during Lent, this is a rare occasion that it comes on a Sunday, right, often it doesn't get its, its glory that is due. And the cross is the foundation of our, of our faith, right, which is why we set aside in the, in the Coptic New Year in September three whole days just to celebrate the Feast of um, the cross. And as you see in our services, everything starts with the cross, right? Every event starts with the sign of the cross. Every prayer starts with the sign of the cross. Um, every single thing that we do, even the, the, the shape of the church, one of the shapes of the church is to be in the sign of the cross, right? It's something that we um, obviously value. Even when we start a talk, Right? Even if, if a person gets up, they'll wait for someone to do the sign of the cross before they begin to speak. And it's because, again, this is the sign of who we are. And this sign was ordained and chosen long before we knew what was going to happen as, as people. Right? We often talk about symbols of the cross in the Old Testament, and we say it like it's a random fact. But it's not just a random fact. It shows us that this was intentional. Right? So if you look at the Old Testament, there is many things that we saw. For example, the rod of Aaron, right, which is a piece of wood, right? A dead piece of wood, it was a staff, right? It was a walking stiff stick. Um, it was stiff. And it brought forth life, right? The rod of Aaron was budded, right? Something that was perceived to be dead that was made out of wood, the tree, right? Brought forth life um, is one of the, the symbols. We also see um, something that it's in those chapters that most of us kind of skip over um, because we find it boring. But when we see in the book of Deuteronomy and in Leviticus, you see this very long narrative of the Lord telling Moses to tell the people how to sit. Right? And so he says, okay, you're going to have these tribes are going to sit here and these tribes are going to sit here. And like I said, most of us are like, I don't care where they're sitting. What is he going to say? But the reason why it matters where they're sitting is because if you were to draw out how they were sitting, it is the sign of the cross. Okay, they were sitting, he had them organized to sit in the pattern of the cross. In fact, um, in the story of Balaam, right, who was uh, a person who had the gift of prophecy and who was hired out by the Jews' enemies to curse the Israelites, he went to a high place, right, to look over the people of Israel so that he could throw curses at them. But when he went up to curse, he couldn't, right? Instead, he only found himself blessing. But if you look at the pattern in which they were sitting when Balaam went upon this high place to curse them, they were sitting in the formation of the cross, right? The other famous sign is, of course, Moses with his outstretched arms, right? When they go to war, so long as Moses had his arms outstretched like this, literally, Right, then the people had victory. So long, whenever his hands would start to sag, 
the people started to lose. And so we had two people who were positioned to just keep his arms up, right, as a symbol and a type. Furthermore, we know that when the people fell into sin, right, the Lord took a staff, right, a pole of wood, and he asked them to put a bronze serpent on it and to nail it or to fasten it um, to this piece of wood and that whoever looked upon it would find life, right? It was a symbol of the anomaly of, of death bringing forth life. And some people might accuse us of overly meditating on these things, but I would beg to differ because our Lord himself pointed to this as a symbol of the cross, right? This is not just like a, an old man with a beard who said it. Our Lord himself said, the, uh, even as Moses, right, erected the symbol of the serpent, even so must the Son of Man also do, right? So these things were a foreshadowing and a type. But as I said, why that's a big deal is because it shows that this was not accidental. It was not random. The, the salvation and the plan for this was known to him from the beginning of time. He knew what he was going to be doing through the cross. And so he wasn't a victim of chance, right? He wasn't a victim of, of, of randomness or of people's bad moods, right? It was a very knowing and intentional thing that he would um, die for us. The second is that this is an image of humility. Humility because the cross is a symbol of our Lord willingly and intentionally putting himself under the authority of other people. And not just of other people, but of his own creation. Right? Imagine, we see this sometimes in our parents as they, as they age, right? When we see that, and it's, it's humbling for us, right? That as our parents grow much older and they can't walk on their own, maybe, uh, maybe they can't go to the bathroom on their own, or maybe they can't even feed themselves, that suddenly the image that was of authority to us, right? The image of, of strength, suddenly they become subject to us, right? Suddenly they are at our mercy, whether we feed them or not, whether or not we care for them. But this was a sign of humility, not because something had caused God because of his own weakness, right? With our parents, this is the weakness of humanity. But with God, there was no weakness. With God, there was no need for him to humble himself. With God, there was no need for him to subject himself to us. And in so doing, he said, I will allow myself to be at the mercy of my own people. I will let them control me. I who fashioned the heavens, I who put the stars in their places, right? I who breathed life into humanity and gave them a rational spirit. I will allow them to have dominion over me. This is a sign of deep humility. And many of us see that as, as weakness, which we'll get, but it is not. Humility is a, is a very, very strong thing. And yet we don't often emulate this humility, right? How many of us want everything to be under our own control, right? Whether it's with our spouses or with our children or with our parents or with our coworkers, where we can't accept if someone disagrees with me, right? We can't accept if somebody doesn't want to do things my way. We can't accept if somebody doesn't give me something that I feel that I'm entitled to, whether it's dignity or respect or honor or reverence, right? Or that my idea is the one that prevails. 
most of us don't have that kind of humility. Most of us demand it from other people. We'll preach it to other people, right? We'll tell people that they ought to be humble, that they ought to allow themselves um, to let things not go their way for once. But how many of us are able to be humble like this? There should be an exercise of humility. In the way of the ascetics, okay, it's a book by a, a Frenchman, a French Orthodox person. Um, he was trying to live the monastic ascetic life as a, as a married man. And so he writes down different ways that married people can emulate um, some of the, the virtues. And one of the deepest things of humility is obedience, right? And so he took for himself a, a, a rule that he would listen to his spouse no matter what she said. So on one morning he writes about how um, his wife tells him, I think it's going to rain, you should take an umbrella. And there was no sign of rain. <laughs> there was none at all. It was a clear, very bright day. It was not going to rain. There was no forecast calling for rain. But he said, I will try and learn this degree of humility and just say, okay. So he took the umbrella. It didn't rain, right? But the point of taking the umbrella wasn't for rain anymore, right? It was now a measure of obedience, a measure of, of humility. Um, and we need to do that. We shouldn't expect people to treat us with dignity and respect. We should accept in humility that even if our Lord allowed himself to be subject to his own creation, we too ought to accept humility. He accepted to be limited. That's the one hand. And on the other hand, he wasn't showy in his solution, another kind of, of humility. Right? This wasn't how most people would expect, you know, like a great king, right, to do justice, right? Most people are expecting pomp and ceremony and nice outfits, right? But the way of the Lord from day one, right, was complete humility and the opposite of showiness, right? If he wants to be showy, all he needs to do is just point at creation, right, and say, I did that, right? That, that was all me, literally. Right? But instead, when he came, he was born in a manger. Right? He came completely by surprise, right? like dew upon fleece, as we say in the Psalms during Yukiah. Right? And even in his death, he didn't choose this great inaugural ceremony. He chose the most shameful, the most lowly way to die that was available to humanity at the time. Right? Crucifixion was seen as the most shameful thing that Roman citizens, because they ruled the world at the time, were not allowed to be crucified. Because they're like, even the, the one dignity that will offer to a Roman for the mere virtue of being a Roman is to never have to die like that. Right? So it was the, the most shameful. And yet he accepted for himself to die in this way. And again, reflect to yourselves, what do you do? when you want to make a point. Do you stand in the middle and make a big show? Do you send extravagant emails? Do you have long lectures to your wife or to your husband or to your kids about why they're mistaken and why they need to be corrected? Right? Or instead, do you show the way of humility? Right? To accept the suffering of whatever injustice you believe is done to you. And usually you're not actually going through an injustice, but even if you are, right? is that, which, what is your way of, of dealing with it? The cross is also a symbol of wrong, 
right and reconciliation. Imagine if two friends get in such a deep fight, okay, that one of them attacks the other and, 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 and stabs him or wounds him, right? The person will end up with a scar. But imagine if these two friends reconcile and actually become closer friends than they ever were before. The wound or the scar is a sign of something that went seriously wrong, right? But it is also a sign of something much deeper, right? When there's a reconciliation, it becomes a sign of something shared, a suffering that was shared. So the cross is a wrong thing, right? It's not that we, we think crosses are just pretty, right? Crosses is a sign of something very horrible that happened, right? It's a sign of our wrong, right? There was not gonna be a cross if there hadn't been a wrong that we did and do, right? We, we're, that we all participate in. And that's why even one of the fathers says, when you, a lot of people when they look at the, the Garden of Eden, they're like, wow, I can't believe he put that tree there, right? It's a symbol of, of like knowing that I was gonna sin, right? And he says, this father says, why don't you think instead it's a symbol of his knowledge of what he's gonna have to do, right? Because that was there, right? That same tree that was the source of death that same tree became the source of life, right? It became the very thing in nature that was used against its, its creator. So the cross for us is a symbol of something very wrong that, that, that happened and that continues to happen. And it is also a sign of the reconciliation that was done, right? Without this bridging of heaven and earth, without this crossing of it, we wouldn't be all right. Because the consequence of sin was death. Right? That was, that was the, the immediate consequence. Not death as a punishment, right? but death as a consequence. Right? We introduced disease. And so the only rem remedy right, to death was killing death. Right? And so this cross became a symbol of death itself, but then it became the symbol of life itself, because he took this death and slayed it. Right? And, and, and arose from it. It's also a sign for us of victory, right? Because this was the most baffling, paradoxical moment, right? Everybody thought that this was a moment of defeat, right? That this is going to be the moment where, you know, Jesus of Nazareth, this loud rabble rouser, right, who stirs up the people was gonna be silenced, right? That was the hope, that was the expectation, right? It was that this is the one way to silence this guy who's causing us a problem. And the devil wanted Jesus of Nazareth dead too because he didn't know that he was God. If he did, he would have really fought hard um, to not have him die um, in, this, in this way. He wanted him dead too. Because suddenly something right was being taught. For, for a long time, people were living in deep sleep spiritually, right? They were just sitting there, just existing, without any, without any meaning. And so the devil had dominion over us, right? The Jews, the, the, the leaders of the people, right, had dominion over the people. Nobody wanted anything to be, to be shaken. But instead, what we see is that in this moment of so-called weakness, right? First we see an intercession of the Son on our behalf, 
right, asking for our forgiveness even in the moment of his death. But then something wondrous happened that we didn't get to see, but I'm sure those who are in heaven right now will happily tell us all about if we are granted to go to heaven, which was our Lord descending into the pits of hell and completely demolishing its foundations and leading out everybody who had been under the tyranny of death for all of this time. Right? That's why in the liturgy we say, he offered himself up unto death, which reigned over us. Not to the devil, not to the father, to death, right? which reigned over us. He went in and said, no, this doesn't have a hold on you over, over, over any of you anymore. Right? This isn't a thing anymore. Now this thing that you call death, that's just a moment. Right? It's literally just a moment where you go from this place to this place and nothing else. Right? It no longer has sway over you, it no longer has dominion over you, which is why the, the proclamation of the church is always Christos Anisti, right? Christ is, is risen because of the symbol of victory um, that we have. It's also a breaking of will. A breaking of will because this isn't what our Lord wanted, right? Our Lord didn't want death, right? Our Lord didn't want people to suffer. Our Lord didn't want any of that. And He endured something that was against His will. And so today when our Lord says, take up your cross and follow me, He is inviting you to do even as He did, which is to break your will, which is tied very much to the humility. Can you accept things not going how you would like them to go? And it will only be able to be born, this burden, if you believe in the end consequence of it, right? The only thing that gives this anyone any resilience is if there's meaning behind it, right? No one's going to just go to the, the, the gym daily and, and exercise for I don't know how long if, there's, if they're not going to lose weight, if they're not going to get fit, right? If it's just for the sake of, of having sore body the next day, no one's going to do that for fun unless they're masochists. But as a normal person, that's not typically what we do. Only because I want something will I bend my will, right? If I want, right, to lose weight, then I'll be willing to eat less even though I'm hungry, right? If I want to improve my relationship with someone, even though I could spend the time completely with myself, I'm going to spend time with another person, right? If I want something, I'm going to work for it. If I want to do well in school, for whatever reason, I'm going to, instead of doing things that I could do with my time, choose to study or do my homework. And so this is the breaking of the will, right? Is a sign of deep humility, of saying that in spite of my wants, in spite of maybe even my rights, okay, is that I'm going to allow myself to not have things my way, to allow things to be done to me for the sake of something that is greater um, than myself. St. Anthony taught us the power of the cross, how to use it, and a lot of us don't realize the power of the cross. St. Anthony told us about the use of the cross against devils. Nobody had talked about that before him, right? So today, we all know the whole, like, do the sign of the cross when you're afraid, do the sign of the cross when something happens. I know that when, when, when I was a kid, 
um, I would always laugh at the like when you hear something fall in the whole church, all you hear is right? Which is Bismillah Salib in the name of the cross, right? And you just hear it just grow across the whole church, right? And it became humorous to me, right? It, it had no deep meaning to me. Um, and as I grew older, it just became like this cultural thing more than a religious thing. Um, I went through a period of doubt in, uh, in my life and I was re-questioning everything that we have, right? Things that were, were told to us. And I had, um, I don't know if I should call it the blessing, but I guess it was of seeing by complete fluke um, an exorcism in one of the monasteries in Egypt from a very pious monk. And it was unexpected, it was unplanned, and to be honest, I didn't even really believe in that at first. I thought everything was just mental illness of some kind, um, but that is not the subject of conversation today. I, I believe truly that this person was um, actually possessed and not just schizophrenic or mentally ill. And one thing that completely shocked me in this encounter was the first time seeing truly the sign, the power of the sign of the cross. Right, was to see that when this woman was leaping forward to strangle um, the monk, right, and it was just me and the, and the two, um, like the possessed person and, and the monk that he allowed me to stay for, um, Abuna with complete somberness, right, without any sign of fear or panic or anything, just raised his cross um, in front of the person before him and said, in the name of our, our God, I command you to release me. And it was like the woman had been whacked, like against the wall. And I was like, okay, this business sleep stuff is real. Um, it was something that I never thought that I would, I would see. And every time that, that Abuna did the sign of the cross, there was a very clear and obvious um, reaction. And I had the blessings of seeing other divine things in the monasteries through the works of the cross, right? In fact, during that trip, one of the monks had taught me, even as a layman, to always have a cross, always to have a cross in my pocket. He's like, it's not just for priests, it's not for men. Everyone should have a cross. Every kid should have a cross, right? And they taught me to do the sign of the cross over everything, to the point that my, my parents were worried about my mental health, um, is that I wouldn't sit without signing the cross. I wouldn't sit anywhere without doing it. I wouldn't get on a bus without signing the cross. I wouldn't do an exam without signing the cross. I wouldn't drive away from anywhere without the sign of the cross. At night, they told me to do the sign of the cross in every direction in your room. Um, do it on the bed. Do it north, south, east, and west, ceiling, ground. Don't look at it as just vain superstition because the power of the cross is in the measure of your belief in the cross. Right? This is what will give the cross its power is whether or not you believe in the cross. If you see it as a vain, superstitious symbol, that's all you'll get, right? Because the devil knows who he's dealing with, right? But if you believe in the power of the cross, it becomes a source of strength. The first story in the Paradise of the Fathers in the Arabic edition, not in the English, is a story of a monk who was forced to sleep in the desert. And he was petrified. And so before he slept, he did the sign of the cross, because open air in the middle of the sand, he did the sign of the cross in all directions. When he woke up, he saw as though there's a perimeter around him, scorpions all around that were not able to pass through this perimeter. I myself have experienced the power of, of this cross. But the power of the cross, like I said, is a sign of victory, a sign of strength, a sign of humility. But its power lies in 
the belief of those who, who have it. We as Christians take pride in it, right? We specifically as, as cops, right? Most of us have, right, the tattoo on our wrist. Not necessary, right? But, uh, but it, it's, uh, it, it encapsulates very well what we believe in, in the sense that at one point we were commanded by the Muslims to have this cross to differentiate us from them. So that if we died in war, they would put the Christians in a certain area, but then the Muslims would get their own proper funeral. And so it's supposed to be to shame us, right? It was supposed to be like, yeah, you have this so that we can tell you that you're, you're different, right? Almost the way that, that the Germans made the Jews put the Star of David on everything to point out, yeah, you're a Jew, right? That was what was being done to us. And then what we did in response was say, yeah, I'm proud of it. Right? You think that's a, a sign of shame? No, I will happily do it, and I will continue to do it. Even when you don't command me to do it, I will do it. Right? So I encourage you all to meditate on the cross today, to look at your lives and ask, is the cross a big deal in your life? Do you even have a cross up in your house in multiple places? Right? Do you have a sense of doing the sign of, of the cross regularly? Do you do the sign of the cross before you drive, before you come and go? Parents, do you do the sign of the cross over the wombs of your children? right, as you leave their rooms <clears throat> when they go to bed, right? My mom, every single time that we drove by my dad's pharmacy, no matter what we were doing, I, I will never forget the image in my mind that she would do the sign of the cross. It was, it was automated in her head to do that no matter what, right? Build it as part of your life, meditate on it, and use it to the glory of His name so that you can say, as we say in our doxology, the cross is our weapon, the cross is our hope, the cross is our strength in our troubles and sufferings. And glory be to our God forever and ever. Amen.